welcome to Forward Physio, the show that gives you high-quality information about injury and rehabilitation, performance, and health. My name is Noah Mandel, and I'm a resident physiotherapist from Toronto, Canada. I created this podcast to provide you with educational content, not medical advice. Please seek advice from a qualified healthcare professional if you are currently dealing with a health-related concern. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider leaving a review. I would deeply appreciate it, and you would also be doing your part in helping the podcast grow so that we could provide this information to more and more people. Hey everybody, welcome back. Today I spoke to Dan Chang, who is better known as the Flexing Physio on Instagram. Dan grew up in New Zealand and is now working in Australia as not just a physiotherapist, but a private practice owner as he recently opened up his own clinic. Dan and I are pretty similar in that we're both social media presences and we're both pretty fresh into our career. So a lot of this conversation was geared towards new graduate physios as well as physiotherapy students. Today we discuss Dan's experience with starting his own business, the biggest lessons that he has learned so far in his journey as a physiotherapist, as well as comparing what it was like for Dan working in private practice versus aged care. It's a great episode for the physiotherapy students or the new graduates who feel a little bit lost, so hopefully Dan and I can help you out a little bit. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy. Okay, Dan, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on mine. I was on yours earlier this year, so thank you for returning the favor. No worries, man. It's an absolute pleasure, and I love seeing you grow in the space that you've created. It's actually really um, an honor to, to watch that, so thank you for having me, Noah. Of course, and it's a pleasure to see you grow the physical space that you're in right now with, with your clinic and everything, which we'll, we'll chat about in a bit. But yeah. uh, do you want to just give everyone a quick introduction on yourself, You know what you do, um, a little bit about you maybe outside of the physio realm as well? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So most people would know me as Uncle Dan because <laughs> that's kind of like my, <laughs> my character on my social media platform where I just become this Asian uncle. Um, so I'm a physio. Uh, I studied in Newcastle University in Australia, the beautiful Newcastle. Uh, so if you haven't been before, definitely would recommend you going. Beautiful beaches, beautiful coffee and brunch and everything. Uh, and I... I Graduated at the end of 2019, and then I spent three years working in Tamworth, which is a country, rural country, Australian city, a lot of pub feeds, and I, I, I enjoyed the pub feed a lot, and I gained like uh, 15 kilos over the, over the course of a year, <laughs> so <laughs> I was definitely a bit more plump than I am now. And yes, yeah, so I worked three years in a busy private clinic over there. And then I met my lovely wife and then we got married in Tamworth. And we had about two weeks as our honeymoon. We, we flew down to Melbourne to spend two weeks down here. And Melbourne, big city, vibrant, beautiful culture. So we just thought when we went back to um, on the on the flight back home to Tamworth, we were like, Let's move to Melbourne, baby. And we wow. basically we basically went back to Tamworth, and then within a course of a couple of months, we decided to pack up and move our asses down to Melbourne. 
to continue our career. So my wife, she is a lovely Malaysian woman. She is an accountant also. And so we'll talk about this some more about the clinic and um, her being on my ass about, you know, how much money I'm, I'm not making, I should say. Uh, we'll talk about that <laughs> yet, later. Yet. <laughs> yes, not yet, not yet. Um, yeah, so we're married and it's, uh, you know, marriage is beautiful. We, it's a work in progress. Every day we need to work at it. Um, outside of physio, I, I really love food. And the whole reason why we moved down to Melbourne was so that we can enjoy the beautiful food down here rather than just the pub feeds up in, up in Tamworth. Um, I really like playing, well, I should say I used to really like playing tennis and I, now I just love watching tennis. I've got no one to play tennis with, sadly. So I just get my fix from watching Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz and, and all those, um, young guns and play tennis on TV. <laughs> there has to be some some good tennis clubs that you could go to in Melbourne though, no? There are, but I think it's just um, laziness on my half to go and to go and expose myself there. But yeah, maybe I should yeah, do that later I on. I think I think you also have a good excuse right now for how busy you are, so you could also just use that as a crutch for a bit too instead of the laziness thing. Yeah, I'll I'll play that card for for a while, I think Noah. <laughs> Yeah, that's smart. How far is Melbourne from Tenworth? Is that how you say it? Tam Tamworth, yeah. So okay. from Tamworth, it's about uh let's see. It's about a in total a twelve hour drive. Yeah. Australia okay. is so big, so big that that even just if you zoom out, even if the gap's a little really small, the drive is like 10, 12 plus hours. So we had to take it in two legs. We couldn't do it in one. Wow. So all your family's still back home. Yeah. So actually I grew up in New Zealand. So I was born in Taiwan. And then oh, when I was okay. one years old, my family, my entire family immigrated to New Zealand for a better lifestyle for the kids to grow up in. And so my family, my immediate family, they still live in New Zealand and I'm here in Australia. So it, the, the, Travel isn't too much of a, of a hassle. Um, the the flight's only three and a half hours, and there's direct flights now from Melbourne straight to Auckland in New Zealand. So it's actually quite easy to see my family, which family is a big part of my life. So I decided to stay somewhat close to them, but not too close. <laughs> Very cool. Very nice. Cool. Well, I, I hope everything has been going well in Melbourne so far, and you've you know been able to to build a, a nice life for yourself, and that's going well. Happy that you're surrounded by all the good food there. So yeah, that's man. Good. That's it. Even if the clinic isn't going well, I can drown my sorrows in a plate of dumplings. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's sad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Could be worse. <laughs> yeah. Dumplings are good, though. Yeah. So, yeah. Tell us about the clinic. So, you mm -hmm. have basically just started opening up a clinic. And yeah. I think it's really interesting. And, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot to say about this. But you did so pretty early on in your career, right? Only have graduated in 2019. Yeah. So I think that's amazing. But uh, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about your perspective there and how yeah. that's been going? Absolutely. So yeah, you're, you're right. I'm very young in my physio career. I've only been working a short three to four years. Um, my first clinic that I ever worked at in my new grad job was in a very busy private practice. And the way that the private practice is set up is there are treatment rooms off to the side. So it was, it was all um, 
designed from scratch. So the treatment rooms are off to the side and then in the middle of the space, uh, of the building, I should say, there is a large space where there are machines. Um, and when I say machines, I don't mean ultrasound machines. <laughs> I mean, mm. strength <laughs> training equipment, um, tables, dumbbells, uh, squat rack. And the space was just a good space for people to move, jump around and hop around and without fearing uh, running into a wall, for example. And then I really loved it. I thought the space was a very, it was a luxury and it was a blessing. And then when I moved to Melbourne, the private practice that I resumed my career in just didn't have that space that I was, that I was after. And so I spent a year there and I just wasn't feeling like I was using my, my potential because the clientele that I really enjoy and want to niche towards are two, two populations. The first one are more the ACL population. I've done a bit of work, been very lucky to do a bit of work here with uh, Mick Hughes and the Learn.Physio crew. And so that's kind of what sparked my love for ACL rehab because I also think people who are rehabbing ACLs, they tend to be more sporty and motivated. And yeah. um, it's more fun. Like you can, you can challenge them. You can push them around obviously late stage, not early on. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I agree. I love working with the ACL population. It's so fun. So that, it's so cool that you're building a space mm. for yourself to really niche down there and do that. And, and what a pleasure it must've been to work with Mick. Yeah. Yeah, it was. He's, let's just put it this way. He is as nice as he is in person than he is on social media, if that makes sense. Like, I'm trying to say that he's very, he's a very lovely guy. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So, so, the, so what was the other population? The other population is more the older people. So the 50s plus, the people that are getting wary and aware that every day they spend, uh, like every day they wake up, they're feeling more and more crumbly. And they're feeling like they're getting weaker and their balance is no longer as good and they don't know what to do about it. So that's the other population mm. I want to see. Sounds like both very, very important to take an active approach with both of those populations, right? So yeah. hence the gym space being in the middle of the clinic. Yeah, that's right. So that's what I've tried to reproduce here. As you walk in, there's treatment rooms off to the side. And then in the middle, there's the gym space where you walk. I always, I, I think this is a more the mental tactic where you, you get, when you get the patient from the waiting room into my off, into my treatment room, they have to walk through the space with music, the machines, the dumbbells and all that before they enter in the treatment room. So it's almost like a, you know, we've got all the space here. We're not going to spend too long in the treatment room. We're actually going to try and get you out there moving and, and, and building a robust body. That's amazing. And, you know, I know you're, you're pretty up to date with everything too. And it's not like exercise is always better than, than doing mm. things in the treatment room, but for certain populations and for certain circumstances, it's definitely a good idea. Like if you have, if you're coming off of an ACL surgery or if mm. you're becoming more frail and you want to improve that, these people like would really benefit from exercise. So, yeah. I mean, I love that you're creating a space where that's, you know, they're coming in to seek treatment for pain and for injury. And you're making it known that, Hey, like lifting weights can't be a part of your recovery here. Yeah. It's amazing. Sure. And, um, the, the WHO guideline is that everyone, no matter what age you are, should be participating in at least two strength sessions a week. And I can confidently say that 
a big percentage of the population aren't doing that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So totally. I think I've, I, been, I wanna, I've been saying that a lot. Sorry, you go ahead. I just want to say that I wanted to let everyone know that, that this is the world health organization. This isn't what I'm saying. This is what the big dogs in you know, Europe and the whole world are saying. So don't listen to me, listen to them. Right. Yeah. And I've been saying the same thing to people recently, especially mm. especially like older individuals who have gone their whole life without strength training and saying that, hey, this isn't just my idea here, my bias. This is yeah. something that is recommended mm. from like every like health organization, practically speaking, uh, you know, like that it, it massively benefits your health. And it's like something that if we want to live long, healthy lives mm. is something that's really, really important to do. And yeah. they're often surprised by it. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know what your experience are with your family, but I'm really trying hard to get my mother, who she's 40 years older than me. Um, she's what? She's be 66 now. I just turned 26. And she doesn't do an ounce of strength training whatsoever, but mm. she doesn't have pain in her body which is, as we were talking about, sometimes strength training and exercise isn't the, the key to every single thing in the world, right? But I'm just saying my mom, she has known osteoporosis. So if she were to have a fall, that could be detrimental for her. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. My mom is very active, so she doesn't need any any motivating on from coming from me. Yeah. But um. Yeah, it was definitely something that I've been trying to get my dad into as well with so far not not a ton of luck. So sorry dad if you're if you're listening to this and I'm outing you in front of all three listeners of the show. <laughs> Shout out Noah's dad. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's amazing, man. So is there anything in the past, I, I guess it was like this last physio clinic that you went mm -hmm. to where you didn't feel like you were you were utilizing things to the best of your potential that really motivated you to start this clinic. But ha have there been anything else from your past that really made you want to start your own thing here? Um, I think mainly it was having to be able to have a space to do the things that I want to do and see the population that I want to see. But I think there's something special about creating your own space and practicing the way that you want to practice without having someone like a boss <clears throat> or like a, a manager kind of control or dictate the way that you practice. So almost creating mm -hmm. a space where you can be the physio that you want to be rather than the physio that someone else wants you to be. And I, I love, I have a really strong bias towards strength training and exercise. I think it's the best thing. I think if you, if everyone exercises regularly, it could fix a lot of problems. <laughs> so that's mm -hmm. my bias. Um, some, some other physios bias could be towards a special skill, like a hands-on special skill that they do um, to, to, in quotation mark, fix someone's pain. Um, however, this is my bias. So this is something that something else that has motivated me to want to open a clinic. I would say these two would probably be the most. And also, as I said before, my wife's an accountant, so she's always quite conscious about money. And this is just something that's innate in her DNA. And so she's aware that if you always work for someone, you're always going to have that cap. But if you work for yourself and then eventually start putting on other people, 
that gives you potential to earn more and one day retire onto a yacht. <laughs> right. Yeah, the financial aspect of physio is something very, very interesting because the only way to make more money as a pure, pure physio, if that's all you're doing, mm. is just to see more people. I think I, I think that's how it works in Australia as well, at least yeah. in Canada. Yeah, that's true. So uh, it, it's tough because it's always a one-to-one -one input output relationship, right? Mm. It's not like the more time you put in, the more that will grow. I don't know exponentially in the future, mm. but starting your business is, uh, I guess, a good way to do that. It's a I'm excited for you. Thanks, yeah. Noah. I'm excited too. But I'll tell you what, though, the last because I've only opened this place for literally less than two weeks. <laughs> so I am very fresh in the the business world and there's a lot of challenges that come with opening your own business and one of the challenges are you have to be comfortable with you have to have thick skin is that something that Canadians say thick skin yeah 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 sorry I, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't, <laughs> didn't know that that's okay <laughs> but yeah having the ability to take rejection um, especially from GP clinics, because I find in, if you own a private practice, going around to the GP clinics is really important to establish a foundation for referrals. So if you can go around to a couple of GP clinics, some GPs, they've already got their referral source. So they will basically in the most polite way tell you to piss off because they don't need you. Mm. And, and in those cases, you just say, yep, that's fine. Catch you later. And then you go to the next one. But you have to be comfortable with taking rejection and don't take everything so seriously because if you do, it opens up yourself to a lot of hurt and emotional drama. That's good advice. Yeah. 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 So I, I like one reason I'm so excited for this for you is so many new grads follow you. I, I feel like that's, a large population of all the people that follow you on Instagram and your podcast. Would you correct. say that's accurate? Yeah, that's correct. And a lot of students too, which is awesome. Love them. Yeah. And, and it's amazing because it, it's, it's going to be so great for them to follow your journey as you're just starting this business, you know, like just a few years into your practice and seeing the successes and the failures and all the lessons learned because, you know, a lot of people, they, they look to people like you to, help inspire them and, and to guide them. So that that's, you know, I'm not just excited for you. I'm excited for all the people that, that will learn from you as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm pretty transparent when it comes to things like success and failures. And I like to be, I don't like to use social media as a, I know I post a lot of my workout stuff and I know I look fantastic, but you know. You do. <laughs> <laughs> just blowing my own trumpet there. Um, but I like to be open and especially with my own podcast on my own channel is like, that's an opportunity for me to share and get a bit more intimate with my listeners is I share things like my struggles and what's uh, really challenging about business ownership and even being a physio. There's so many challenges as we'll touch on later. Uh, but yeah, I like to be open, transparent. So, so far would have been you know, your biggest challenges with starting this business besides just the, the GP recruiting. Yeah. yeah. The, the other big challenge is the, the mental side of it because obviously you know that if you don't see patients, you don't get money. It, it's really as simple as that. So 
at the end of the week, you look at your, well, at the end of my short one and a half weeks, you look at how many <laughs> patients you've seen and you go, far out. If I keep this up, I'm going to have to start digging into my savings. And then you start to overthink and being like, oh, man, and then I'll end up on the streets. And then, you know, you, your mind wanders. Yeah. And it's the one of the, the, the beauty and the curse about the human mind, I suppose, is that you catastrophize a lot of things. Um, and as I said before, having a wife as an accountant, she she gets on your ass sometimes, you know, and you just have to um, work on that. <laughs> so the other big men, the other big difficulty would be the mental side, the anxiety of not knowing, but just knowing that controlling what you can control, doing the things you can do now, so that you it can hopefully pay off in the future. Like my dad put it this way. If you're planting a tree, you, you got to, well, it depends how big the tree is. You got to start by digging the hole. You got to start by planting the seed and you got to cover the hole. You got to do things to water it, use good compost. And the, all these things that you're doing, you don't see the tree yet. You don't even see a sprout. But all these things you're doing, it is essential to get that first sprout. So my dad, he's a bit of a, a um, he's actually Confucius. So. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say he sounds like some sort of prophet. Yeah, that's it. And he's super. He's he's a he's a man of wisdom, and he tells me this, and I I go, yeah, you you know what? That's couldn't be true, Dad. Yeah, yeah. First off, what amazing people to have in your corner—an accountant yeah. and a philosopher just in <laughs> on your team. So that's amazing. So I I um when I was in school there was a week where we did these electives uh, and one of them was entrepreneurship so mm-hmm. I I opted to do that one and, and we had all of these clinic owners from Toronto Canada where I'm from come in mm-hmm. and and just talk about their journey with starting their own clinic being a physio and some of them were saying you know how uh like not I would I don't want to say prosperous, but how amazing the the journey has been for him. Mm. Um, and others were saying, you know, they sort of wish they handled it differently because looking back, they realize they feel like they're more of a clinician and less of a business owner, and they don't love the operations as much. Do, yeah. do you foresee yourself like really loving the business aspect of creating your own thing as well? That's a really good point that you raise because I feel that as a human humans are good at doing one thing at a time. And so one of the other challenges that you've just reminded me of is I'm finding it difficult being a good physio and also being a good business person at the same time. So this is where having people in your corner is really helpful and having people with different sets of skills. So I've mentioned my wife a million times, but she is actually a legend and having her in my corner allows me to put my head down I can look down and focus on doing the best job I can with each patient that I'm getting throughout the week so that she can work on the behind the scenes stuff and um, giving me a gentle nudge when I need to be nudged. Mm. So I think if you were to open a business, I would definitely, first of all, um, find people who either have similar values and can and have different sets of skills that can help boost the the goal and boost the vision. Right. Cool. Mm. So that's uh, advice for all the new grads and students that are thinking of opening up their own clinic one day. And Marry that's not an for accountant. everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's smart. It's a very strategic move on your end. Hey, that's it, man. That's it. <laughs>
Yeah. Uh, so that's, it's not for everyone. And I feel like a lot of people, and I get this all the time from people, like when I have told people that I'm going to be a physio mm. or that I am a physio, they ask sort of what are the next steps? Mm. And there's in a lot of instances, there's not always a ton of room for getting promoted because once you're mm. a physio, that's, that's sort of it. Mm. So for other, for most people, it's like, so when are you going to open up your own clinic? Mm. Um, and it's not for everyone. I, I really don't think it's for everyone. And I don't think everyone needs to steer themselves in that direction. But for, for the last few or for the people that do, do you have any last few pit, pieces of advice for them? Mm, yeah, it's for me, if you were to ask me four months ago, I, uh, Dan, are you ready to open your clinic? I'd say no get away from me. <laughs> I'd, I'd tell you straight <laughs> up that I'm not ready. Um, and that I'm too young. I'm not, I'm not experienced enough to do this. And so, um, Corrine, my wife and I, we go for walks pretty much every day just to have some quality time together. And then one night she just asked me straight up out of the blue, she goes, so Dan, when will you be ready to open your clinic? And it's because it's something that we've talked about a little bit, leading up to that point when, when she asked me, it's always been something that we've been teasing and it's always been on my mind, but it's never been put into action. And so after she asked me that question that night, I thought to myself, you know what? I will never be fully ready to open a clinic because it's a big step in your career and you don't know until you know. As in, so you don't know if you're ready until you do it. So after that night, I literally just had a, we had a just, effort moment and then we went home and then we just started looking for buildings and that's what the action is what triggered everything and you know now we're here i'm sitting in the clinic talking to you so the if if you if there is the inkling of wanting to open your clinic and you are waiting for that moment to come so that you go yes i am ready you're going to be waiting for a long ass time, my friend. So I think my advice to people who were in my position is just, just do it, man. Just like Shia LaBeouf, he said, just do it. Just do it. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> How long ago was that walk? How long ago? Four months ago? Yeah. Six months ago? Yeah, about that time. Wow. Wow, what a quick turnaround. That's amazing. Good for you. Yeah, yeah get after <laughs> it, people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, nothing good ever comes from waiting. And there's always going to be insecurities, always, right? Like, 100%. You, you never, they're never not going to be there. Yeah. Like even now, even now, since I've opened, I've still got tons of insecurity. The insecurities that were, that were there six months ago, it's still here. But now it's just different because I can actually see with my eyeballs, the action has triggered uh, momentum. And now it's, it's, everything is here. So now it's a bit easier just to keep moving forward because I, I don't have a choice. Mm. <laughs> I, there's no plan B. I bet, it feels, I bet it feels so real every day when you walk into the clinic and you see that neon flexing physio yeah. sign. <laughs> Dude, the, the drama that came about that bloody sign, it's, yeah. it's incredible. So the fact that I can turn it on and actually it actually looks half decent, I'm, every day I switch it on, I, I, say, I say, thank you, God. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it looks nice it's good that's my selfie wall so when you come visit me in melbourne that's where we're going to take a selfie i'm dying to come 
I'm, I'm, I really am. I really want to be in Australia. So if I'm ever in Melbourne, there's no chance I'm not getting a workout in with the flexing physio. Oh, that's it, man. Hey, you you can bench 100 kilos, right? I think in pounds. Oh, 100 pounds. Uh, I think so. Well, I'm pretty sure two two plates, like two 45-pounds plates, right? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, actually yeah. technically more than 100. It's like 104 kilos, I think. I'll take everything I can get. That's decent, man. You're ripping out those bad boys. Thank you, man. Um, I've seen you. Uh, I, I like it. I like <laughs> I like being like visually not looking strong at all. And then and then I lift something that I don't look like I should be able to lift. It's so fun. It's so fun yeah. taking people off guard. That's yeah. what we not call that I'm the strongest sleeper. guy in the world. But, That's yeah, what yeah. we call the sleeper build. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's a good time. But there are some there are like I, I'm just gonna say this now because you sort of you brought in my personal strength and I haven't really said this, but it's funny because on comments on Instagram, sometimes yeah, uh, like I asked, I had Alan Aragon on my last podcast and I yeah. asked him like, what do people need to know to build muscle? That was the only thing I said in like this one minute clip on the video. And this yeah. person started commenting like this guy can't lift a, a can of soda. I'm like, I didn't even do anything. People, Bro, <laughs> so, I saw, I saw yeah. that comment and I was like, boy, you have no idea. This guy can lift some tin, man. It's so funny, but I mean, what, like, what are you going to say there? Like, oh no, I could actually bench this much weight. Like that's a pathetic <laughs> response. So I'd rather just make a joke out of it and leave it. The beauty of social media. Hey. Yeah. How, how has your social media journey been going? Cause you're, you're building a following. Mm. Um, you've, you have like, I don't know, like 70 episodes of a podcast now. And I feel yeah. like you have a following where it's, it's a loyal one. I feel like mm. you have a good community. Hey, thanks, man. That's something that I've worked really hard to try to achieve. And I think building a following, it's for me, uh, two words, reels and memes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly speaking, reels and memes with with other videos in your post where it shows off you, like shows your face and also shows your personality. So those three things all combined, doing that consistently over time, I don't think it can really fail. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel, I, I was listening to one of your episodes and you were saying that you, you're enjoying the social media thing more than being a physio at a point. Is that yeah. still sort of true? Or is this starting a business sort of rejuvenated things for you a little? Yeah, it definitely has for the physio side of things. I still really enjoy doing social media. It's just fun to to create content that people get a laugh out of. And um, I, I do want to steer. So I've got two... I've got a, my flexing physio page and I've also got the flexing physio clinic and I want to steer the flexing physio clinic Instagram page for more educational for the gen pop and doing more exercise based um, videos. No, I don't worry. I won't do one of those like POV. You do this exercise and your back pain melts <laughs> away. I won't. Yeah. I'll tag you if I do. Thank God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I want to, I want to steer that one towards more the general population. And then I want to keep doing my, I think I really enjoyed making memes and making relatable content. So I'm not going to start. I had people tell me, oh, you should make more educational content. And I think that's fantastic. But for me, I enjoy making more uh, humorous, lighthearted stuff on my flexing physio page instead. Yeah. Like why not? It's, it's your account. You got to do whatever you want. 
that's a, sometimes I think I should create a little more memes and less educational stuff because I mean, it's, it's fun. Like when you make a funny video, it's like, it's, it's all, it's more enjoyable, but, um, for me personally, I do want to make sure I educate people too, but yeah. to each their own, I think. I refer people to your page for education and you can refer to mine for a laugh. So we can co-refer. Perfect. Happy days. Yeah. Awesome. So you've now been a physio since 2019 and I know your audience has heard a lot of advice on your podcast and everything about, you know, just general new grad tips, but you're now on my podcast. So I guess from all of your lessons that you've learned in your own career and all of the people that you've had on your podcast, you've had a lot of discussions around this. What are, what are some major, major takeaways that if you were starting your career again, you would want to apply? What a good question, Noah. And can I just say before I answer the question, one thing I want to commend you on is your ability to articulate your words and to communicate. Like I've listened to most of your podcast episodes and whenever I speak with the big dogs like Mick Hughes, Adam Meek, and I get a little bit flustered. But for you, you're just speaking to them like they're a normal, well, they are just a human. They are human being. But yeah. I just want to commend you that you've got really good communication skills. Um, that's all. So do, to answer your question, uh, one, if I can boil it down, because I, I know people like that the, the, the one word answer. My one word answer for that question is all about communication. I think communication is something that I wish that I worked really, really, really hard on to hone in on the skills. Um, basically, speak less and listen more as a physio will take you a long way forward. I I don't know. Do you know a guy called Vin Jang? No, I don't. He's an Australian dude. He's a Australian Vietnamese guy, and I think he's working in America. He he works mostly as a, a keynote speaker, and he teaches a lot of his content is around communication. And he's got a really interesting story, but I follow him on, on socials, and I learn a lot of my communication skills from this guy. And one thing that he does, which is quite funny, is before he speaks to a crowd, he actually does facial exercises. So he does things like he bloats his, his, his cheeks out like, and he does, <laughs> he does um, all these vocal cord warm-ups. He, he runs through like a 15-minute, you know how um, Olympic weightlifters, they'll do like 40 minutes of activation drills <laughs> and all those things. Right. For this yeah, guy, yeah. He, does, he does, you know, 10, 15 minutes of just facial muscles, vocal cord warm-ups. And that's something that I actually do now before I see uh, patients because I find oh, – wow. As a physio, your biggest tool is not your hands, is not your ability to prescribe exercise, is actually your ability to connect with other humans and help them understand and make sense of their pain and their injuries a bit more. So how do you do that? You don't do that through an interpretive dance, but you do that through... I do. I don't know about you. <laughs> These Canadian physios, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but your ability to do that is through your words and through your, your voice and your message. So, yeah, a lot of my communication tips come from Vin Jiang, this man. 
So yeah, warming up your voice is really important and what you say holds a bigger impact than you can imagine. We all know of patients that have come and seen us and they've told they've told us that a previous health professional, whether it be physio, chiro, osteo, whatever, have told them that their back is out of alignment and they need to be cracked back in order for them to do X, Y, and Z. And that's just, that's just silliness. So what we say to patients holds very, it's very important that we don't use words that create fear around certain things. Yeah. Communication. That's totally. my answer. It's a beautiful answer. Yeah. So yeah, the, the nocebic language is something that mm. is just so pervasive and every single day, at least if it's an, an initial assessment, I feel like it's almost like it, it's inevitable that I'll speak to someone and they've been told something like that from another healthcare practitioner yeah. or they've seen something on social media um, or wherever their, their friends or their mother told them that, mm. you know, that arthritis runs in her family or you're going to have the knees of a six year old by the time you're 40, anything along those lines. Yeah. Uh, is, is there anything, and I feel like it's different in every context and every person's different, but as a general approach, mm. how do you navigate those sorts of conversations, trying to change these people's beliefs? Because it's, it's not easy. Yeah, it's really not. The it, it depends on how much time we have left. <laughs> if we've got like <laughs> if we've got two minutes to go, I'm not gonna open those can of worms. But also right. I pick and choose who I decide to go down that rabbit hole and actually trying to shift their mindset. So if person A tells me that they've got um wear and tear in their knees, for example, if the thought of wear and tear is creating fear for them to do squats, for example, then I will go, I will make the extra effort to try it and shift, not change, but shift their mind to know that, okay, you've got wear and tear, but these are the things that you can still do. And these are the things that will be beneficial for the cartilage in your knees, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And I try to shift them away. So I don't tell them they're wrong because no one likes to be told they're wrong. I shift their attention elsewhere versus person B who also says the same thing, but they just crack on. They don't give a, they don't give a crap. They just crack on with the exercises. They go <laughs> oh, like, like typical Australian farm. Oh yeah, man, I've got bloody wear and tear in these joints, but uh, who cares? You know, the, the cow's got to be milked, but the horse has got to be milked. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no not, not in Canada. <laughs> I don't think so. No, I don't. in Australia. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but yeah, so these two different types of people that I pick and choose who I decide to go down and this rabbit hole with. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, it does. And I, I like one thing that you said there, where someone said that they have wear and tear, and you said, "Here are all the things that you can do for your cartilage." Mm. Right. So. Obviously, like something like a squat does a lot more than just the cartilage and and is changes in the cartilage the actual thing mm. that is mediating someone's recovery? Mm. Maybe not, right? There, there's mm. a million things going on when someone does a squat. I yeah. mean, like tons of different physiological processes and psychological processes. Yeah. So, but still, you can at least tailor 
the idea of why you're choosing that treatment to yeah. their negative belief. Yeah. Um, so again, it's not, it's not about sitting down and having an argument with the person about why they're yeah. wrong and you're right. It's okay. about saying like, okay, I hear you. Can yeah. we go and try and do something about it? So I, I really love that approach. It's sort of like a very soft way mm. uh, and a covert way of going mm. about it. So I, I like the sneakiness. Yeah, that's it. And people I find the gen pop, some of them can be a bit precious. So you've got to meet the client where they are. You can't just go and guns blazing. You can have all the right knowledge and all the right information, but if you go and guns blazing and then they start to feel attacked and offended, they ain't coming back, boo-boo. They, they're just going to go somewhere else <laughs> where, they get, where they get the information that they want to hear. So you've got to have practice a bit of those EQ skills and sometimes those, not sometimes, I think all the times EQ skills and communication can't be taught through a textbook. You've got to have, you've got to have real life practice and you're going to be crap at it initially, but just like a muscle, the more you test it, the more you train it, the more robust your communication skills are going to be. Mm -hmm. mm. I do also find it is like a muscle, but it's sort of different in a way where if you just work out a lot, your muscle will tend to respond. But yeah. I feel like you can go years and years of talking to people mm. and it's possible not to improve. Mm. Right. I think another key element there is self-awareness yep. and self-reflection. Yep. I think those are key. Do sure. you have any practices uh, of how you practice those things or is it sort of, does that just come a little naturally to you? I think because my on my social media, I follow blokes and ladies and gentle nuts like you guys and um, and other amazing health health professionals on there. So when I, when I go and scroll on my Instagram, I am constantly being reminded and being pushed to be better. Whereas if I followed a lot of people that were more of a, just a sounding board for me and just an echo chamber for me, then I could then become a bit more complacent in my, in my, excuse me, in my ways and in my, my practicing methods. So I think following people that push you to be better, better, and also who challenge you like Greg Lehman is, is you've had him on your potty, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I have. He's pretty notorious for challenging beliefs you know, like with his buddy, Adam Meekins, Greg challenges Adam all the time. And Greg has, I'm oh, sorry, and Adam, I'm pretty sure have, has voiced how annoying, but good annoying Greg is, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's because Greg is often, I don't want to say right, because he's often not trying to uh, win a debate. Sometimes yeah. he is, but it's often that he's trying to make people think of things at least a little bit differently yeah. and challenge people's <clears> beliefs <throat> and their thought processes and getting them to, to think a little more critically. Yeah. Um, and if you're not prepared to do that, that's fucking annoying. Yeah. That's <laughs> you know? so, it, it, so I get it. I get it. Um, but it's so important and it's such a good, I, I think that's why people respect him so much is because mm. he, he challenges people to improve and, yeah. and to, to think a little more critically. Yeah. And I, it's something I really, really admire. Yeah, yeah. On the topic of Adam Meekins, I'm actually going to a shoulder course in Melbourne in a few days. Oh, wow. <clears throat> November the 8th, I believe. That's exciting. Yeah, man. I'll try to get him as a cameo in my, one of my reels. That's a good idea. I'm sure he would. 
Oh, well, sure he has my choice. I'll force him. <laughs> yeah, he's a nice guy. I, I'd, I'd love to take his course. Like, I, I'm not going to take it online mm. um, because I, I, it's just something that I'd, I'd rather take in person. Yeah, know? I'm, I'm sure uh, he'll was, travel to Canada. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Or maybe I'll be in the UK one day and I'll do that. But, like, if I'm on vacation with my girlfriend and I do that, she'll kill me, so. Yeah, nah, you, <laughs> save your relationship first, man. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and, and talk about something that you were doing earlier on in your career and actually that you just finished with, which yep. was aged care. And and that's not an area that I have a ton of expertise in. Mm. Is is it, I think we refer to it a little bit differently in Canada, but is that palliative care? Is that when you're working with people towards the end of life or is it just working with seniors? What, what does that mean? Bit of both. So in the aged care facility that I was placed at, there was there were only 20 beds. So not a big facility at all. Within the 20 beds, we had one room dedicated for palliative care. And the other residents, they were there because their family has, has placed them there for various reasons. We won't get into that. But they are there. So most of them... There's a bit of a spectrum. Some of them are heading towards the palliative care, but I would say 85% of them are still got a long time left before they pass on. Um, and then maybe 30, 40% are still able to walk maybe with a four-wheelie walker, but they're still ambulating in- independently. So there's a bit of both to that um, in the aged care facility that I was at. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I think one thing that's on my mind about just the aging population is that old saying, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. And so, so often I feel like we get caught up in, you know, what our treatments are doing from a pain standpoint and Hey, like maybe exercise isn't the best way to reduce people's pain or to go about this sort of treatment. But mm. again, it certainly is a way to go about improving someone's quality of life later on. And I'm sure you saw quite a bit of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that my, my tip to someone who was about to, especially a physio, a younger physio who was about to step into aged care. Now in Australia, aged care often is a little bit more lucrative in terms of how much they pay. So I feel quite a lot of younger student, uh, sorry, younger grads would want to step into at least a couple of days in aged care just so they can have more of that financial uh, freedom. If that's the case and if financial freedom was your only motivation, just be aware that death is something that you are confronted with quite early on when you work in aged care. Um, when, I w- when I first started working, I think in my first week of working there, I was running a group exercise class as I do um, on my days there. And then suddenly the the nursing manager comes sprinting into the exercise classroom and then just goes, sorry guys, I need a, I need Dan really quickly. And she grabs my hand and then we basically both sprint. And I've never seen this woman sprint. And we were sprinting towards one of the residents' room. And when we got there, I thought someone had fallen. I thought someone had fallen and needed my help. But when we got to the residents' room, I saw him sitting on his bed. Sorry, not bed, his chair. And he just didn't look alive. I don't know what 
I, I've never seen someone die so freshly before, but I, he did not look alive. And basically, he, she needed help because they didn't know whether he was for uh, do not resuscitate or for CPR. So we had to help carry his body from chair to bed while the nurses were fumbling through his notes to figure out if they if this man was for uh, do not resuscitate or CPR. And basically, I was just thrust into this situation where it was just super confronting. And wow. after the ordeal happened, um, the 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 resident ended up being for do not resuscitate, and he ended up passing away. <clears throat> Afterwards, we had a debrief with the team. And yeah, we just spoke. It was a really wholesome debrief. We spoke about how we felt at the time and how we were going. And there was a counselor who kind of guided us through the appropriate steps of dealing with this sort of stuff. But this is my first week in aged care. Like I just went from seeing like an ACL person and then seeing like a, some an office worker with tight shoulders, <laughs> as most office workers are, to holding a dead person you know it's just yeah crazy so just be aware of that if you are about to step yeah. into aged care how old were you at the time how old was i yeah um i was 25 so this was only last year okay yeah okay well that's it's very intense and very different from what we get in private practice yeah for sure for sure well, okay um, but just to just to pick up the mood a little bit, um, age care. There is the really fun part of age care where you where you get to build relationships with the slight. When I say younger, I mean seventy plus. <laughs> they're the teenagers of the the facility, and they're so cheeky. Once you get to seventy years old, you just don't care what you say, and you can just do the most outrageous things, <laughs> and no one cares. Yeah. And so it's really fun building relationships with them and helping them with their exercises and just working on more big picture stuff. So rather than focusing on, you know, activating the lateral third portion of their supraspinatus, focusing on big picture, like let's get you up, let's walk you, let's do some sit to stands, let's practice your balance, eyes closed, eyes open, all those things. And also being good with going back to all your medical history and just understanding things like dementia, heart failure, congestive heart failure, COPD, all those um, older people diseases, you've got to just brush up on those diseases. Yeah, I feel like I, um, I would really, really need to do that because as a student, obviously that was top of mind. And now I yep. work in a population where everyone, for the most part, doesn't really have a comorbidity. I'm working with a lot of young people's sporty stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a whole different ball game to have that at the top of your mind constantly. Yeah, for sure. Oh, can I also add one more tip? And this is a huge oh, tip please, for, yeah. for students. Yeah. Uh, sorry, for new guys that are wanting to go into aged care. Com as I said, touched on earlier, communication is key. And in aged in age care, it cannot be truer, especially between you as the physio and the nurses who are actually the ones who are using the, the lifting hoist machines and the standing machines and actually wiping their bottom, taking them to the toilet, doing all the jobs, that the, the, the personal care jobs. So when I first started in, the, in this aged care, my boss, the one who hired me, kind of gave me this feeling of, all right, Dan, you're the physio of the facility. You are the mobility king. So you tell them what's up. Like they don't tell you what's up, you tell them what's up. 
And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like that doesn't sit well with me. I'd rather try to work with them and having the patient's care as center of mind rather than who's got the bigger dick in the, in the facility, you know? Right. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a, a, a proper place to have a dick competition. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. don't compare dick sizes, rather work closely with the nurses. And the amount of times that I've gone to one of the more senior nurses and been like, yo, I have no idea what to do with this, uh, with this resident. What, do, what sort of lifting machine do you suggest? And, and she just tells me what's up. She just tells me how it is. And, and then I'll go, Oh, what about this? And what about that? And then it's a collaborative approach. It's not about egos or who's been there longer. Like, yeah, she's been there for 48 years and I've only just started in aged care, but we both bring different expertise and skills to the table. And it's all about having mm. the residents healthcare and their well-being as forefront of our mind. Absolutely. And I, I think I want to add, if you are ever working with someone else that is involved in one of your patient's care and you have different ideologies and you disagree on a lot, there is still a large chance that whatever that person is doing is still helping mm. that patient. Mm. So don't focus so much on all of your disagreements. Focus on how together you can help people because, uh, again, it's not a competition. It's about the person that you're trying to help. So yeah. keep that in mind. For sure. And I think when Pete, when two physios with opposing views take the, take the who's right and who's wrong out of the equation and just focus on what is the right thing to do by this person, I think there will be a lot less headbutts and a lot less arguments uh, per se. But where there's people, there's always going to be egos and it's hard to differentiate mm. the egos versus what's the correct answer. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And honestly, there's often more than one correct answer. So if I'm if I'm speaking with like, if I want a good idea of whatever, like a one on one yoga instructor is doing with the patient when he's outside mm. of the clinic, and mm. she's saying all of this stuff about like, how like, they're optimizing the firing of like his VMO and like all crazy stuff like that. <laughs> At the end of the day, like, he, it's probably a good idea that he's doing yoga. Yeah. Right. So like, I don't care about all these theories because at the, like, if he's saying that it's benefiting him a lot and this person is yeah. that it's not important to focus on that minutia. It's just important to focus on the bigger picture. Yeah. hundred percent. What do you yeah. mean? The VMO fires, fires first. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is sort of a true story right now, but I, I smudged some details. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i totally agree and understand what you're trying to say yeah yeah cool all right dan any final thoughts that you want to share tell the the new grads whether they're just starting whether they're in their first year or so whether they're thinking about starting a business one day any any final words of wisdom channel your dad here channel confucius uh Honestly, just have fun through the journey. It, it, the physio career, while I'm very young, objectively very young in the physio career, the physio career is not about 
the end. It's about what you learn along the way and the people you meet along the way. And because we're now blessed in, in, in a society where we have access to social media and the fact that I can speak with someone in Canada at the moment, it's just amazing. So pick everyone's brain, soak up knowledge like a sponge, keep trying to prove yourself wrong and keep trying to be better than you were yesterday. And I think at the end of the day, focus on building good rapport with your patients because if you don't have rapport, you don't really have anything. So tell those jokes, spend the first five, 10 minutes of your consult spinning a fat yarn, talk about their cornflakes that they had for breakfast, find something to connect on. And a lot of people say, oh, I can't find anything to connect with this, with this patient. Well, you guys are both human and that's something that you can connect on as, as being human. So find that, point of, find that point of connection and just build that relationship, build that rapport and treat the human, not their pathology or their knee or their scan. Treat the human. That's it, man. Hmm. I love it. I, I guess I, at risk of uh, making, of oversimplifying that, hmm. just two words would be zoom out. Yeah. You know? Damn. I think yeah. Confucius was speaking through you, not me just now. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tag team. It was a tag team. Just like our, our future Instagram accounts where I'm all education, you're all memes. That's hilarious. Yeah, we work together. Yeah. I love that. Zoom out. I'm going to get a tattooed on my, my back. Okay. Me too. We'll get back to you. Yeah. I go Zoom, you go out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think we got to end this. This is getting too ridiculous. Nah, thanks, Noah. Dan, was, thank you so chat. much. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always a pleasure talking with you. You know, I hope to do it again one day. And I'm looking forward to seeing how, you know, your your journey here just just grows and blossoms. So best of luck to you. Um, you know, I think you have all the tools and all the support in the world to have a very, very fortunate and and, and you know, um enjoyable career. So all the best to you. Thanks, man. Thank you once again for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. If you would like to follow me on social media, you can follow me at noahmandel.physio on Instagram and TikTok. Have a wonderful day and remember to keep moving forward.